Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 146th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive, gets it back out to him, long outside shot, short rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. Matthews, off the mark, and this year the confetti it's going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys today. And today we're going to have a what, what may be honestly an impossible conversation, but we're going to oh, talk that's, about that's a uh, great premise for a podcast. <laughs> we're going to talk about how Armando Baycott can improve this year off a stellar junior season uh, as as we continue to get you guys ready for this uh, as as the preseason is underway. We got live action with with Carolina basketball on Friday night. So we're we're, we're continuing our discussion about certain players and and and, and, and positions and all that great stuff to get you ready for the upcoming season. So we're going to talk about that. We do have a few closing notes for you guys as well, but we start every edition of the podcast, as we always do, with our pod thought of the day, which is brought to you by DraftKings. Head over to the website, DraftKings.com, and use that promo code TBPN to get this week's offer as you try to bet and earn some money on some local college football games or even some national NFL games. And today, for our pod thought, we go to the doctor. We go to Dr. J, uh, one of the greatest basketball oh. players of our time. I thought uh, I had to take a physical. I'm not in good enough shape for that. Right yeah, now. you still owe me 28 laps for all your cussing you did last year on that the is, pod. Okay, I am fatter than when we finished up the pod last year at that time. I could maybe give you two and a half. So, um, Dr. J once was, was quoted as saying, being a professional is doing the things you love to do on the days you don't feel like doing them. Um, I think you and I, we can we can both attest to our professionalism, whether it's at our radio job or hosting and, and co-hosting podcasts, is that we, we, we love to do them even on days we don't feel like doing them. And Oh, uh, you're talking about just at the job, right? I'm talking about in general. No, no. You can't say that when you're a guy that literally laughs at fart jokes still at the age of 26. What's I got to do about being a professional and doing my job? 
Did you listen? Let me repeat it for you. Yes, but the, I just said only in your job. The the pod thought of the day is being a professional is doing the things you love to do. Okay, we got on, that. On the days you don't feel like doing them. And I said okay, like yeah. running a radio show or hosting the podcast, but we're here because we love to do it. Well, speak for yourself. I am always ready to go for this podcast. You thought I was going to say the radio station. That is not necessarily true at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> um, and, and look, there was a lot of things that last year that, that, Armand, that Armando Baycott proved that he was, he was a professional at doing because he was such an integral part of Carolina's success. So we talk about him elevating his game to the next level. And, and look, I don't think it's necessarily a requirement for Carolina to win a national championship. I think if he's the steady force he was a year ago, I do I do feel like Carolina is more than capable of getting back to the Final Four and winning a national championship. But, you know, if, 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 if you want to nitpick, and that's our job as professional uh, podcast hosts to do, you can look at things where he, he can and needs to improve on from last year. But before... We talk about that. Let's just re- remind you, in case you forgot what all he did last year for the Tar Heels. He averaged 16.3 points per game. He 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 averaged 13.1 rebounds per game. Mm. And he did that while shooting a blistering 56% from the field. So he averaged a double-double. He also tied the record for most double-doubles in a single season in Division One history. Mm-hmm. And he became the first player ever to record a double double, and in a in every single uh, game of the NCAA tournament since the tournament expanded to sixty four teams. Where now most teams you play at most six games in a tournament because you never had a team go from the first four all the way to the national championship. And, and so, look when when you think about that historical context, you know you're tying David Robinson for the most double doubles in a single season. You play six tournament games, um, and, and really five of the six were all big time. You know, there was so much on the line after the, after the Marquette game, and you do what you do, you're in some pretty elite company. But I do think the first area that you can look at and say, hey, he needs to, he needs to improve in this area, and he, he has gradually gotten better over this time as, as a Tar Heel, is his free throw shooting because he did shoot 67%. And while for the most part that's not a that's not a bad number for a big man, I I think my thing is that he looks so fluid shooting his free throws that you would like to see him be above the seventy percentile because a lot like a Tyler Hansborough, a lot like you know when when Tyler Zeller was here, those guys had just such a fluid motion that they looked good shooting. You know their foul shots. We're not, you know, we're not talking about, you know, a guy like Desmond Hubert who didn't look natural at Whoa. the foul line, and Whoa. that's that's How why. How is my dude catching strays here? Because he built, I mean, he built houses upon houses with all the bricks he shot at the foul line. Hey, somebody needs to build houses, okay? Um, and you, you're right, though. And so that for me, that's that's the first place I look at is that if he can get to above seventy percent. Well, maybe all of a sudden those 16 points per game, they become maybe they're 17, 18 points per game. And as we saw last year, two points could be a big difference, whether it's in a national title game 
or just a random night on the road in the ACC. I mean, it, you you got to think with as much as he gets to the foul line, it could be a major uptick. That that's the thing for me, and that's why I think you're right. Is that he had an ability, especially down the stretch of the season, once he sort of settled into that role. Because you know, early in the year, it was still you know the first two years. You know, we were. We, we saw flashes, but the consistency wasn't there. We didn't see his ability to take over games for a consistent stretch. Last year, you know, early in the season, I think he was still finding that rhythm. Once he officially started taking over games and realizing, I am this dude, I can be one of the best players in the country, you started to see him draw foul after foul. And I, I think that's the thing. When he gets to the free throw line, you want him to be able to get, yeah, to that 70%. It doesn't have to be, man, Tyler Hansborough was as good of a free-throw shooting big man as you'll find. Tyler Zeller very close as well. Yep. Those guys were almost automatic. It's hard to find big men that shoot free-throws like that. Um, but if he can get to above that 70 percentile mark, I think you're right. I think that could be a big difference for Carolina and the biggest thing is it would take pressure off of the guards to have to put on the types of performances that we saw in the NCAA tournament night in and night out. Because ultimately, we know with these guys, and look, we, we had a podcast where we explained to you what these guys have to do to take the next step this season. But I think with those guys, we've kind of learned that it's inevitable that there are going to be nights where at least one Sometimes even both of them are a, a little bit, you know, a little bit off. And you need your big man and Armando Baycott, who's your steady force, to be able to get those easy buckets inside, to be able to draw those fouls and get to the free throw line and knock down those foul shots. So, yeah, that's that's probably that's one of the two areas that I would turn to first when it comes to him taking the next step, but it's definitely a big part of that recipe. I I think the next area, and I don't know if this, I think it's the area that I think we would like him to to be much more proficient at is something that Hubert Davis harped on when he became the head coach, and that's he wants him to be able to to make a perimeter shot. I just think if 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 Armando Baycott can extend his range to 16 to 18 feet, and then you work to the three-point shot, that's going to do a lot of different things. Because you're looking at a guy that averaged a double-double last year, but did so scoring at the rim. Everything was basically from the free-throw line and in. Oh, yeah. He played basically an old-school... Honestly, he was pretty much a mid-2000s NBA big. And look, there's, there's nothing wrong with that because the college game still values that type of player. It worked. It got you all the way to the well, national championship game. And, so yeah, oh yeah. And if you're if you're a hoop junkie like me, there's a there's a lot of fun in still watching a guy fight for his position on the block, get the ball, and then beat a man one on one. And he did a oh, lot yeah. of that, you know, especially in the in the second part of the season. But you know, we we we've talked about this offense maybe wanting to find another gear and look like what it's eventually going to look like under Hubert Davis because I think we can all agree and look this offense once they went to really the the iron five 
I, I thought it wasn't a it, it was a efficient offense, but I don't think it was the type of offense that Hubert Davis wants to play because you were playing for round one. I, I I think when he's when he's done getting his his type of guys in here and has his fingerprints on this program, you'll see five out basketball. But you know, for for Baycott, if if if, if we're wanting to make the game easier and we want Caleb Love and R.J. Davis to take their next step. Some of it is dependent on your teammates making the game easier for them. And I do think that if he can develop a consistent 16- to 18-foot jump shot, something that, as we mentioned, Hansborough had, Tyler Zeller had, John Henson had. Luke May. Luke May. And then even if you go back to senior Kennedy Meeks, even Kennedy Meeks could step out and – and 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 hit that shot. Started developing it. Oh yeah. It it opened up the floor. Even Garrison. Yeah, it opens up the floor for everybody else. Yep. And so I do think I know it's something that he has worked a ton on. And I think last year, I think I really bought into the idea of him he was gonna be a guy that shot a lot of threes. Because Hubert Davis told us that. Well then we, Brady Manick showed up and he just said, Look, I can do enough for all three of the big guys myself to shoot perimeter shots and stretch the floor, that it just made more sense for Mondo to get down in the painted area and go to work. Also, remember, I think it may have been the first game. If it wasn't, it was the second game of the season. He took one three from the outside that what? wasn't even close. Wasn't and we were, like, we were like, okay, maybe he's still got a little bit of work to do. You know, when I look at that aspect of his game, I, to me, that's one of those things that if it was to improve – for the purposes of Carolina this year, I would take it, but I don't think that it's necessary. For me, that area of his game, I want to see that come along because I want to see this dude make it to the NBA. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't develop the shot, if he cannot hit what you're talking about, that 16 to 18-foot jumper, he will not be an NBA player. And that's that's, that's what... really stinks because I think he is such I'm with you I I love big guys that can get inside get on the block get their position offensive rebound and play offense that way it's I mean that's still entertaining to me but the NBA does not value that these days they just they just don't it's very rare that those guys are going to be successful and if you are there's really only one way that you can do that. You better be an unbelievable defensive player. And right now, that's just that's not really where he's at. He's a, he's a good defensive player. There's no doubt about that. But that's just not where he's at. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something you'd like to see to be able to stretch the floor a little bit. But I think also, you know, you said that Hubert eventually wants to become a five-out guy. I think also with a guy like Armando Baycott, you also kind of adjust your strategy to a player that's that good. So I don't think, to me, look, he'll still keep trying to pull that out of him. There's no doubt they have been working on that this offseason and will continue to work on that. But that's an element of his game that I would believe that Hubert says, if it's there, great. If not, look, you showed last year that even without that jumper being ever-present, you know, it's it, you can still be effective and hey, if you can knock them down from time to time, that would be great. But it's not a necessary thing. The thing is, if you if you get to that point where he can actually knock those down, your pick and roll game goes to a whole nother level. And that is what I think is 
if you're a Carolina fan, that's what should make you want to see that the most. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't say that's something that you should go into the season counting on. Yeah, no, I don't think you're counting on. I think it's something that you're hoping to see him develop for his own sake because he does has you know he yes. has NBA dreams and aspirations, and also just like if, if he does become that type of player, you know it's it's going to make the game easier for for other guys. And I mean, look, I think you know a lot of his success that he 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 achieved individually was because of how easy the the, the game was made for him by Brady Manick. We don't know how good. Pete Nance is going to be so the game may the game may be harder for Armando Baycott, especially yeah. because we don't. I mean we we've we've seen what Pete Nance can do from watching him a little bit. He's I, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be what Brady Manick was in terms of where he plays. You know on the offensive end, I think you are going to see times where the paint might be a little clogged. Because mm-hmm. I think Pete Nance can play. He can knock down those jumpers. I think he wants to play more inside, though. Well, and, you know, I said this back when he transferred in, that at the time I thought Carolina would be back to what you saw under Roy Williams, a three-around two, you know, offensive set. That's not the way Hubert Davis wants to play. So if, if Armando Baycock can make that 68-foot jump shot, right. all of a sudden you're back to playing – it's a it's 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 a condensed four round one, but there is better floor spacing and stuff like that for Love and Davis to get to the rim. Are there any other areas you want to see him take a step, or you think he can get better at on the offensive end? So one of the things that we've talked about with him is that at times he is not able to finish when he gets fouled, finish yeah. through contact. That's an area that I want to see him get a little bit stronger in because there, it just felt like at times last year. There were even in the tournament, there were opportunities for him to finish inside, and they just wouldn't go home. It would have made things easier in certain games. That's the one area that I really want to see him get better in, especially if you know the first thing that we talked about. If he's not able to get to that seventy percent, and and again, I think like you said, that is not if he doesn't get to seventy percent at the foul line, then we don't win a title. No, it's not. It's not like that, but. If you're not going to get there at the free throw line, then you know if you can finish through contact. I mean that's that that's going to help that out a lot more. But that's one that's the one area that I've 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 thought about. That was one of the two areas: the free throw line and finishing through contact. Other than that, I mean it's it's really hard. This dude was just so dominant on the offensive glass. I mean, look, early in the season, you you remember. I think a lot of people, or when when you saw the performances from Armando on the glass, on the offensive glass, you would say, man, you know, is he the best offensive rebounder in the country? And then people would be like, well, Oscar Shibway is better than him, right? And you would probably be like, yeah, it's a fair point. Towards the end of the year, mm, I don't think so. No, I think Armando probably surpassed him with the way that he rebounded, and it's a legitimate conversation. And look... Those are the two guys right now that most people think are the favorites to take home the John R. Wooden Award, the Naismith Trophy. That those are the two guys that most people are looking at for that reason alone. So, yeah, yeah well, when it comes to him finishing through the you know through contact and at the rim, I, I think there's just a mental block there 
whether it was his freshman year, his sophomore year, to where he wasn't finishing as constantly around the rim and through contact like you want him to, to where I think it was just more of – and look, a lot of it is because the way guys like he are officiated in high school and in AAU ball, they're getting calls. And then you get in the ACC, all of a sudden, you know, when you're in Cameron Indoor Stadium or you're at Louisville or something like that, they're gonna let they're they're gonna let the opponent bump you. And, and look, there's nothing, you know, we're still at the time we're gonna complain and yell about that. But I think that's something when you when you we hear reserve Hubert, the right when you hear Hubert Davis talking about toughness, that's what he wants. You, you know, he wants to have a team that, you know, and I, I thought this was an area that he got better at during that run. You know, where where he was on the court 38 minutes a night was he was being able to finish through contact, but I, so I think it's just something where there was there was a mental block there. I still think you know there are just times where the way these these kids nowadays are officiated in high school, they never really do adjust to being able to play through contact because they don't have to. Well, I think it's also how it's taught. We oh, see yeah. so many guys. Don't that, get me started on that. We see so many guys that when you go to the rim. They lean away from the basket. Yep. Why would you go? Why would you go away and make it more difficult to finish a layup? Well, I here, don't. I've, that, al- that I've always blows said my mind. If if you're gonna if you're gonna lean away from the basket, you don't deserve to get a foul called. Like I understand that we live in this era where you know we want to give the defender a chance, but and so if, if the offensive player is initiating the contact, the the foul shouldn't be on the defensive guy. But that's how it works. That's why they're on offense because they are initiating everything. So I'm fine with the defensive player having a right to his space, having the right to the ball. But with that, there come limitations. And so when you're as big as Armando is and you're as strong and powerful as he is and and you see him falling away from the basket and throwing it up, yep. I don't care if he gets touched or not. It would it – would, it would, it's it's bad for the game to reward him with a foul, while the defensive player did nothing wrong, and the guy is is falling away and is initiating the contact in that way. If you're initiating the contact and you're aggressive and you're doing it, and you know, and as with the offensive player, there are limitations of how aggressive you can be, and the and the guy commits a foul and they don't call the foul. Okay, then we're going to complain and I'm gonna get mad, but. I, I do think it's it's so much of the way that they're taught how to draw contact isn't the right way, and the way that contact is now officiated because we want to see the ball go in the basket, we want to see points, but what it's doing is it's it's hindering from guys being able to get and one opportunities and finish through contact. Something that you know, for 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 some guys they made a, they made a living. That was how they they got on the courts because they could play tough enough. And play through the fouling and stuff like that. So I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that is an area where he does need to improve, and that's really for all of our big guys and really for all of our players. Is that they've got to learn to not to initiate the contact and then finish through the contact, as opposed to fall away from it and then get upset when there's not a foul called. Let's move to the defensive end of the court because you might you might ask. Where do you want to see him improve defensively? Because he averaged roughly two blocks per game last year, and I, I don't I don't think that's a that's an area where he needs to improve. Because one of the biggest issues we've really had for this team the last couple of years was that you know we never trusted a guy to protect the rim. Even when Carolina had four bigs during the the, the pandemic season, 
he didn't really have a guy that you trusted to protect the rim because Dayron Sharp was a freshman. Garrison Brooks was just he he was not all the way there. He was a smaller big too. He that that just wasn't he was a guy that his strength, or at least what we used to think was his strength, he struggled a little bit with it his senior year, was he was athletic enough to where when he would get switched on pick and rolls, he could handle it no problem. He would be right in front and had the athleticism to stay with guys. That sort of dwindled, and, you know, then you then you get to Armando, who's just, you know, he's a, he's a big, lanky guy, and I thought people early in the season sort of took advantage of him. In those pick and roll situations. Well, and 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 that's that's the first place I'm going to because you talked about you know, for him to be an NBA player, he's got to develop a, an outside jump shot. There's nothing incorrect about that statement. But also, if he wants to play in the NBA, he's got to be able to defend, particularly on the perimeter. Yes, and, and yes. I and I think that's something that you know if 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 you probably went back and these opponents watched film of of their games against Carolina. They didn't isolate him enough on the perimeter at times with the way Carolina played defense. And, and look, we, we saw it, you know, in, in the Final Four game over Duke when you got Mark Williams on the perimeter, it, it favored the guard. You got the Caleb Love shot. Yeah, it did. You know, stuff like that. And so I feel like, you know, Carolina changed up the way they defended pick and rolls a year ago a little bit, more of an NBA-style type of thing where sometimes, you know, your big guy is isolated and there's nothing wrong with if you get beat by being able to recover and block the shot because he has that ability because he is, as you mentioned, he's got some length to him. Mm-hmm. But, at you know, you are going to get beat probably more often than not because he is slow afoot. And so I do think that's an area where he's he's got to he's got to get better. When he's on the block and he's bodied up, he's as good a defender you're going to find in the ACC. But if he's on the perimeter, he, his feet don't move fast enough and his hands aren't out in the passing lanes, and he becomes a liability, as most bigs are. But that is an area where there is a lot of room for him to improve this upcoming season. Well, yeah, and look, part of it is that you can't always switch. There were times last year where Carolina did that in games that just uh, just left you infuriated because Carolina was switching everything. And, yeah, eventually you are going to get to a matchup. Yeah, if you've got... Let's say, you know, just for example, one of the best guards in the ACC. If you switch Armando Baycott onto Isaiah Wong over and over again, yeah, it's probably going to make sense that Isaiah Wong is going to take advantage of that. He's one of the more talented guards in the entire country, so it's it's going to be a challenge for him. But I thought, first of all, I will say this. I thought as the season went along, he definitely improved. There is no doubt about that because I thought early in the year there were times where uh, he would just get simply blown by, would just not even remotely communicate with where he had to be. That was the team as a whole. But I thought as the season went along, you saw him start to become that guy that could recover quickly, that could make those plays. Um, And, yeah, I mean, of course, you want to see him continue to battle on the blocks because, you know, look at the team that got to the national championship last year. Kansas was a team that had a big guy on the inside that could battle down there. Ultimately, I think for teams to make deep runs, that does seem to be a part of the recipe that you have to have. So I want to see that part of his game still stay there, and I don't want to see him on the perimeter a ton. But yeah, as you said, 
Uh, that that's another one of those things that it, for, it, it I think matters more to his NBA career than it matters to this team winning a title. Um, I think you know for sure. He, I, I think that's more important than some of the stuff that we talked about on the offense, but primarily the three point shooting uh, or the perimeter shooting. I think you need him to be a solid perimeter defender because look. We've seen how it's cost Carolina against some of these more athletic bigs. Just go back and watch the Notre Dame games when they that that's the type of guy that scares you when they play Carolina because Armando is a more typical big. Um, my thing with it is is how much of that is he able to change? I understand there's some technical things that you can mm-hmm. do, but sometimes, man, you just got to know with a more traditional big. It's hard for those guys to really be as fleet of foot as some of these more athletic stretch fives or fours, you know, that they could get switched onto. So I think that's, you know, something that is far from a guarantee that he's going to be better at. Um, but I think at, at this point, you should not question the will of him to get better. I think he's going to be working on that. Um, but I think, yeah, for, for me, it's. That is definitely more of an NBA thing for him. If he wants to be an NBA player, you have to guard on the perimeter because, as we said, you just do not have these old school bigs in the NBA anymore. Yeah, you, and you I, don't last. And, and so, I mean, you know, look, if 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 I want to nitpick about how do you become a better defender, well, this on- is the other thing. We're also nitpicking a player that is going to be one of, if not the favorite, to be the national player of the year. So we have to dig a little here, yeah. people. But, you know, like if, if I'm going to break down the way I'd want to see him, you know, I think I thought a lot of times he hedged too much and got himself out of position. And sometimes he, yes. didn't, he, yep, didn't, that's hedge, right. he didn't hedge enough. And then so then he was – he was. it's all about defense in, in, in this era of basketball – where everything is so spaced, it's it's all about positioning and floor balance. Yep. And there was just a lot of times where, you know, if, if if you looked at the way his body was turned, the way his feet were positioned, okay. If and look, here's the thing: if if a guy like me or a guy like you can can point that out, then people that know a little bit more about basketball than I do, they can point that out. True, we will point it out. We will not be able to execute it ourselves. We would be over hedging, under hedging as much as anybody. And uh, oh, I could see it already. What? Here it comes. I never overhead. I was, I was about I was to say, you know, speak, 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 no, speak for you. Oh, first okay. of all, you get in church ball, you guys probably didn't even run sets. It was literally a pickup game where you literally just went out That's there and five on five. Let me tell you why my church league career really fell short of where it should have been. You know what? I blame myself for this one, folks. It was, I took us there. It God. was because my dad was the coach. And look, just because, and look, I love my dad. And just because he watched basketball, oh. doesn't mean he could coach basketball. It's so wait yeah, a second, we what? didn't we, we didn't have a single offensive set. Question: Don't you think that you can coach basketball because you watch basketball? No, I can coach basketball because I know basketball. There's a difference. Oh my god! Because I've I I watch it, I I read about it, okay. I listen to people talk about it. Okay, I'm a student of the game. That's what I am. And so that was that was a big reason why. Okay, but, but you know, sure. get, you know, getting back on track, 
So a lot of it was, you know, a lot of it for him was just positioning. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I'm not going to say that, you know, they, they didn't try to fix during the season. But I think they also just realized, like, look, he's because because I thought I thought one thing he did really good from the second half of the season on was play defense without fouling, which was his biggest issue when he first got here, was that he yeah. he he couldn't, and so I I want that for forty games, and look, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, knock on wood, we're deeper, and you've got. You've got Pete Nance. Well, we think so. You, There's a podcast got, edition, the one right before this that you can check out where we talk about. You, you've you've got Jalen Washington. You've got you've got Will Shaver. Yep. But you go and you look at his minutes per game for you know from his freshman year, 24 minutes. His sophomore year, 22 minutes. Last year it ballooned all the way to 31 minutes. A lot of that was because well the last half of the year he was playing 38 minutes a night. But to do that, he was also playing defense without fouling. And so I think that's an area where, you know, he can become more more consistent. Cause it, it felt like it felt like in the big games he would get he'd pick up that one early foul. You know, and look, the Kansas game, a lot of things played into what happened because of the court where he got an offensive foul that probably shouldn't have been. But I, I do feel like when you look at this 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 non-conference slate that is as loaded as it is, and then you look at this conference schedule, which as it is every year in the ACC, it's it's pretty it's pretty daunting at times. Mm-hmm. As good as and as much as this team's going to ride through Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, they're going to need their big fella on the court in the big time matchups. And I think it's something where he improved last year. But as we continue to nitpick about one of the best players in the country, he can get more consistent at that in his in his senior season. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think, you know, well, well, we saw it. I mean, there were teams that definitely attacked it, and I thought he did a good job of that. That was definitely one of the things that Duke wanted to attack in their games, and I thought that for the most part, he sort of held his own. And and the other thing is, is that again, we know the way that the game is called. These days, there were plenty of times where he picked up fouls that you were kind of just left scratching your head over, um, where really he didn't he didn't do anything wrong. Um, so I, I, you know, that's one of those areas. I, I think I think he did a pretty good job of managing himself there. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's it's got to be it's got to be something that he keeps as a focus. That's how yeah. I would put it. I don't think that it's something that he has to get better at. I think it just has to still be in the front of his mind because, yes, we are hoping that this group is going to be deeper. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think I think that is as far from a guarantee as it gets with this team. I think we, we talked about it. We feel pretty confident that you will find guard depth. We're not as confident that you will find depth in the front court. Now again, the good news is is that you've got a guy that is going to be a starter in Pete Nance that can play the five if needed. Yeah. Brady Manick could not play the five. Like he's just he was that that wasn't what he was. Brady Manick was the definition of a stretch four. That's not what Pete Nance is. But you I mean look, it's it's this simple. You want the player of potentially the player of the year in college basketball on the court as much as humanly possible in 
reasonable quantities would be how I would say it. You don't want to completely, look, you ain't playing the dude 40 minutes a night and just saying get over it. Like, that's not what we're saying. But you, the, if you want him out there 32 minutes in a game, yeah, you want him to be available 32 minutes a game to play him. So that's, Well, and you want them to be able to play 32 minutes hard, not 32 minutes in the last eight. You've got four fouls. On both can, ends. Yeah. We, we don't want you to say, hey, man, I'm going to be aggressive on the one end, on the offensive end, but hey, on the defensive end, I've got I've got four fouls with five minutes left to go in the game. I can't really give you anything if they put the ball inside. I got to let the dude walk by. So yeah, that's I, I think that's that's definitely one of the areas that you know we will we, monitor. But that was one of the things that at times we we brought that up a lot last year, and I thought for the most part when we would bring that up, which was those big games. He did a really good job of handling that burden and managing it. Mm -hmm. Any other areas you want to see him improve defensively as he heads into his senior season? No, I mean, I think, you know, he definitely was a guy that I felt like got a lot of criticism. But at the same time, you know, he kind of is what he is. We know that he is a an old-school big man, so he's not a guy that's going to be, you know— closing out on stretch fours and blocking everything. I mean, he's not going to be a lockdown defender, but we saw, especially as he got later into the season, he became much more confident down there. And here's my thing. As long as he takes care of what we need him to do on the block, I'm going to be happy because that's we do. you do not want to make it easy for teams to get the ball inside on you. Mm-hmm. That's when you start having real issues. If they're just hitting shots on the outside from you, that's going to happen. We've seen games where that happens. When you get into the NCAA tournament, that shooting, it ain't always consistent, even throughout, you know, from half to half in games. So I want to see him continue to be the guy that we saw a year ago defensively because I thought as the year progressed and he continued to take steps, it was really encouraging what I saw. So you know what the best part about all of this? And look, I think we had a great conversation topic today. I'm going to read you the categories Armando Baycott was first in last year. Okay. He was first in total rebounds. Nice. So that means he, he was first in total rebounds per game. Offensive and defensive rebounds. He was first in two-point made field goals. He was first in free throw attempts. He was first in games played. He was first in personal fouls that he drew, so not committed but drew. He was first in ACC among win sh- uh, among, for win shares. He was first in offensive win shares. He was first in defensive win shares. <laughs> He was first in total rebound percentage, offensive rebound percentage, and defensive rebound percentage. So how many comments do you think that we're going to get below this podcast of people that, first of all, don't listen to the episode. They're going to read the title of the podcast. Wow. Oh, no, 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 because we know how this is this works. They're going to read the title of the podcast, and they're going to get mad about the fact that we are trying to show how Armando can improve after all those stats that you just said. I mean, look, I think it's going to happen, but you, you, I, I will compare those numbers to when a— there's nothing a coach loves more than when his team wins a ball game 
and the tape is nothing but coaching tape because they left so much out there. Yeah, Toriel football's been doing that for years. I I don't I'm not saying that Armando Baycott has left a lot out there because I don't think he has, but I think Hubert Davis can look him square in the eye and said, "Big fella, you were really good last year. Yep, but you know what? You can be really great." And that when you have that type of possibility in front of you, that's how you know you first off you're dealing with a special player. And I think I think Armando Baycott, when it's all said and done, whether Carolina wins a title or not this year, he has etched his his name into Carolina history. Yep. He's a part of the new age, the new generation Tar Heel fans for like yourself, myself, my little brother, and whoever, because he, he is he's a great player on the court. He's got this presence off the court with the NIL, that the, the the infusion of NIL. He he is a big part of the Carolina community where you'll see him you'll see him at Tar Heel football games. He's he just at, he, he put up a picture today. He is wearing a Jacoby Criswell jersey. Yeah. No, no. I'm I'm an idiot. He's wearing Legend Cavasso's jersey. That's even that's, worse. That's right. That's that's right. even worse out of you. you'll see him in Keenan. You'll see him at you know, you'll see him at a field hockey game. You'll see him all over the place. And so that that that's a thing. And, and and so whether he wins a title or not, this has been a special guy. Well, this is the thing that Hubert Davis can drill home to him. Look, right now, you are a great Carolina big man. You could put yourself in the legendary Carolina yep. big man status. You could be with Hansborough. Tyler Hansborough, Sam Perkins, yep. James Worthy. Like, you – it is – not out of the realm that this dude could join that type of group. And I'm going to tell you, before last season, we would have never thought that. I mean, we thought, look, man, we were saying, can this guy get to Kennedy Meeks type levels? And look, man, Kennedy was a was a really good player. Not trying to slight Kennedy Meeks here, but like we're talking about a dude that could legitimately be one of the most talked about Tar Heel big men ever. And and that is just to be in that group. I mean, that is. We talked about how special. We've always talked about how special being a part of Toriel basketball in general is. Being a part of that group of the best big men in Toriel basketball history, which has been valued so much, is just that is a prestigious group to join. And I think that's where Hubert. That's what Hubert has to tell him, along with if you want to make the NBA. These are the areas you can improve. The funny thing is, is m- many people have said the same thing about the Lancaster County Church League Basketball Association. Oh, I heard they disbanded after how bad you played. Which I dominated. Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of, or that's going to wrap up this portion of today's conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We mentioned DraftKings, the sponsor um, of the of the pod thought of the day. We're going to play you this week's ad for you to use that promo code and get over there and take a full advantage of all these great offers. Then I'll come back, got a few closing notes, and we'll shut, we'll shut down shop of this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. 
Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings. Stepped up, stepped up game, same game parlays. Whether you're betting this weekend's matchup like I will with the Cowboys and the Rams or the over-under passing yards of Patrick Mahomes, you can do all that to make things even sweeter with our stepped-up same-game parlays once per game now all season long over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Simply download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use that promo code I told you earlier, TBPN. To get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys have been taking great advantage of all these graphics I've been giving you on the four corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog podcast as well. We mentioned we had some a few closing notes. Again, just a reminder that live action with Carolina basketball is set for this Friday at 7.30 at the Smith Center. Um, if you cannot make it, there will be a stream available on ACC Network Extra. So those of you that have a ESPN uh, Plus account or one of those forms, you will be able to access being able – to, uh, to, to to watch the stream. I know that's what we're planning on doing on Friday night if you cannot uh, be in Chapel Hill on Friday. And the other bit of news that came out a little bit earlier today, something that we see a lot of now in college basketball, is these opponents have a secret scrimmage, and Carolina's secret scrimmage will be against Rutgers on October 22nd. So Rutgers is a program that has really had a rebirth the last couple of years. They've made the NCAA tournament They've been really competitive in the Big Ten. Been one of the best home teams in college basketball. Steve Peichel, right? He's done a a really good job with that program. And this was a program that when Roy Williams first came back to Chapel Hill, Carolina saw a lot of with the home and homes and stuff like that. So um, it it was nice to see those two kind of rekindle. Although we won't be able to see it, we will probably get some news or notes that will come out of it. But Carolina does have its opponent for its secret scrimmage. That's roughly, you know, two weeks. It's 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 the week before their exhibition, and about two weeks away from the start of the actual season, which is now roughly under forty days away. This is going to wrap up this edition of the show. We do encourage you guys to go to the website heeltoughblog.com, where on the football side of things, we cranked out all the stuff post Virginia Tech recap, Ashes analysis, trench report. And stock report. Now the attention turns to this weekend at Miami, where Anthony will be getting you ready with a preview and the keys to the game. Then, of course, we'll be back with you guys following that game with all of our post game coverage as well. As for the basketball side of things, you can go back and check out Ashton's feature on Armando Baycott. We'll have some stuff up this weekend regarding live action with Carolina basketball. Before you know it, some of our preseason stuff will start to trickle out to get you ready for the upcoming season. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We encourage you guys to rate and review, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the offseason and as we get into the start of the actual season. So with that, that will wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.
The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.